Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making things from history and also not. And we normally like to start by talking about the things we have been making and or baking recently. So what have you been up to before we get to the main topic? I had surgery and couldn't sit for two weeks, so I've not done a lot. (laughs) Not conducive to crafting and or baking things. Really not. Um, (laughs) Although I did make some nice chocolate chunk matcha muffins. Oh, that sounds so good. You say that just offhand, like, yeah, I had surgery, but I I did make these muffins. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the surgery was like two weeks ago. It's over with. Um, The muffins, by the way, are... June's patron recipe. Ah. Well, because awesome. I, I used my share of the Patreon money to sponsor a tea tree in Kyoto. That's adorable. Um, it seemed an appropriate use of it. And also, I love tea. So I was thinking about green tea a lot because they send you three kinds of censure. Oh, they do. Amazing. Um, so I was like, hey, I should bake with matcha again. It's been ages. And then I made chocolate chunk matcha muffins because you got to put chocolate in a matcha thing to make Nick want to eat it. Ah. But apparently apparently Nick does like them as well, so I'll be making how, them again. How do the flavours go together? Is it... It's really good. If you use a dark chocolate, then it kind of complements the earthiness of matcha. Okay. And then the matcha like lifts the chocolate a little bit. It's it's very good. Highly <laughs> recommend. Yeah, you're making me want to try it. I'm going to have to. I've never baked with matcha before. I'm not even sure I properly had it, so... Yeah. Well, the the recipe is now on the Patreon for anyone who gives us at least five pounds a month, and Hazel has access to the Patreon, so Hazel can I, make muffins. I do, I do, because I'm also the person who makes the podcast, <laughs> as you all know, because I'm on it, right? What have you What have you been up to? <laughs> um, what have I been up to? I've just finished a um practical placement for my uh uni course so i have only just had time again um i did yeah i've i've been doing various bits of like knitting and stuff oh how could i forget i joined a reenactment group and i made my first um medieval dress um so that oh. happened i'll pop up a picture I'll pop a picture of that on the <laughs> Twitter when it's finished. I still have all the hand finishing to do, but I went to the um, group founder's house and she was lovely and um, she showed me how to make... It's it's a, like a, a kirtle, so the overdress um, that I've made. It's made out of wool. Is that the, the, the one people actually see if it's the overdress? Yeah, so there's your like shift, which is the linen under layer, and then the um yeah the the outer um layer that you wear is the kirtle and then i think sometimes there's another layer over that but i'm not doing that <laughs> so um it's pretty heavy it's like a woolen fabric um and i think i'm going to have to shorten the hem because it's i just keep tripping over it <laughs> but i'm currently sewing eyelets for the lacing in the front um yeah it should be good it's a nice sort of terracotta shade it's actually a naturally dyed fabric which is fun it's a madder madder dye so yeah yeah i'll I'll pop up a picture on the the twitter when it's done but when i have the the outfit because i still need to make the shift and like a thing for my hair and stuff um 
Yeah, so I'm excited to attend my first reenactment event in uh, August, first weekend of August. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to get to like dress up and do crafts like the whole weekend and talk about them to people. And it's I'm just, just going to be great. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah. Um, and then I did a bit of uh, I, sometimes I get random urges to do like fancy dinner I don't need to explain this to you I'm sure you get it but <laughs> um, yeah but I, I decided I was and I don't know why I decided this menu would go together but we had lots of cherries from the garden so I did uh, the dessert was um, scones with a, a homemade cherry compote which actually went very well because they were the kind of yellow cherries so um, yeah that was good very sort of my nice sweetness uh, and then I decided to try and make chicken shawarma for the main course, <laughs> um, having never done that before. Yeah, it's quite a random combination, but um, I'm not sure if I succeeded on that because, I mean, obviously it's not like real shawarma because it's not cooked on the, I think they like sort of cook it, um, like rotating it on the spit. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was an approximation based on what I could find on the internet. It tasted quite nice. So, um, and, and like a, a rice pilaf go with it very good anyway that's basically it um yeah so what is our main topic today may i ask so initially it was going to be just paprika um uh -huh. but there's there's not a lot to say about paprika specifically so i went down a little rabbit hole and i'm going to be talking about capsicum annum which is Ooh. the plant from which we get uh bell peppers chili peppers and paprika Oh, wow. So is it like the original progenitor of all of those things? Yeah, it's it's the species that those are all cultivars of. Amazing. Um, do you want to explain why we are talking about paprika at this time? Because everyone on Tumblr is reading Dracula. <laughs> um, which, like, I'm entirely pro. I love gothic literature. Dracula is one of my favourite books. Um, but... The, the meme is pretty much dead at this point, but as explained, this episode had to be delayed a little bit. Um, a bit early on where Jonathan Harker, you know, he's, he's in the village uh, near Dracula's castle and he's like, oh, everyone's being really weird. Also, this paprika chicken dish is delicious and I must get the recipe for my fiancé. And then everyone was making jokes about paprika phrases. <laughs> and I got curious, like, what, what is paprika? And then I fell down a little research rabbit hole. I love it when that happens from just like you think oh it would be funny to do an episode on this right now um and then knowledge well it's i, I mean it's it's the neurodivergence it's going hmm <laughs> i have a very specific question four hours later <laughs> i have wondered about it though before because i've eaten a lot of delicious um european paprika dishes and sort of wondered why where they all came from so good yeah it, it is it's one of the best spices okay um so paprika comes from the capsicum annum plant it's dried and ground up peppers which is the fruit of this plant uh basically sweet pe sweet paprika is the sweet pepper spicy spicy peppers i wondered what the distinction was yeah so the the word paprika does actually come from the word pepper so i guess if i start by just talking about the actual capsicum annum okay yeah start from the very beginning. So capsicum is a genus 
It's an, it's another nightshade plant, so I think you can guess where in the world it comes from. I can't actually. I've probably forgotten. Uh, the Americas. Ah. Same as the nightshades, tomato and potato. Oh, so they're all related. Wow. Yeah, they're all they're all in the same family. That is a delicious family. It's a delicious family, which also includes belladonna. <laughs> um, also con- contains aubergines, apparently. Uh, oh. Yeah, the capsicum plant is thought to have been domesticated in central Mexico. Um, although there are some uh, some people who think that spicy domestication, because with it being chilies and peppers, because for our North American audience um, in Britain, peppers is what you call capsicums or sweet peppers, and then we just call the spicy ones chilies. Um, so the, the spicy domestication is thought to have been in Bolivia by some people, and then the sweet in Mexico. Um, there's evidence of them being eaten in Ecuador. This is chili specifically from at least 7500 BCE. Oh wow, that is a long time ago. Which makes them one of the oldest domesticated foods in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know they were that ancient a taste. Um, and then they spread to Panama by 3500 BC and the Andes by 2000. So they they spread fairly quickly, I would say. Because I think we've seen from the other South American stuff we've looked at that things to spread relatively slowly on that continent, presumably just because it's harder to travel larger distances with all of the mountains in the northern part of South America. Maybe they were so delicious. It was just, I've got to take these with me. They, they were just really into the spice. Um... Yeah, spread to the Bahamas as well, so off the the mainland of the continent. That's um, about a thousand AD, whatever you want. Yeah. Um. So all members of this genus contain capsaicin, um, which is named for. Is that the bit that makes it spicy? That is that it's spicy. Mm. Um, which is one of those instances of plant evolves thing to stop it being. And then humans go, oh, I like how this feels. <laughs> Most mammals and insects will not eat things with capsaicin. Birds like it. Right. Um, the bright colours attract them and then they eat the fruit and spread the seeds. Most mammals will not eat the spicy. <laughs> humans like the spicy because we are a terrible monster species. No, <laughs> we just really like have been flavor. breathing through the spicy for a very long time. <laughs> Well, it's clearly not doing us any harm. <laughs> I like the idea that birds like spicy food as well. You imagine some sparrows fucking into a good curry. Um, so yeah, there were peppers um, and chilli peppers especially were used in some traditional medicines. Um, and capsaicin actually does show up in modern medicines as well, especially as um, an al- analgesic, interestingly. Okay, remind me what that means. A uh, painkiller. Ah, oh, uh, it's especially used as a topical one. There's some um, when you know when you get the creams to like put on your joints and they warm warm the joint and that's meant to deal with the pain. That's oh yeah, that's often capsaicin. Oh right. Um, it being called a pepper specifically is unfortunately where Columbus shows up. Ah, uh, is it a a confusion with actual pepper? It is because. You know, he thought he was in India. He was given something spicy, so he goes, "Ah, this is pepper, obviously." Ah, 
Another classic Columbus blunder. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> one way of putting it. Um, and yeah, future expeditions to South America seem to have brought both um, peppers and chilies over. They became popular a lot faster than things like potatoes and tomatoes did. I don't think we've done a tomato episode. We should. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought we might have. That's actually surprisingly quickly for something to, like a new food to catch on, especially one that's like spicy. Yeah, Columbus was 1490, mm-hmm. and by the 1600s we have large-scale cultivation of capsicum in Europe, and especially um, shows up in parts of Africa as well. It's a shame it took until 1983 for the red hot chilli peppers to be you know, wild, widely uh, cultivated. Hey. Yeah, um, <laughs> unfortunately I can't find information on where exactly in Africa it was because the source for this is 1538, um, but chilies being things like um, gout and diphtheria shows up, gargling chilies for scarlet fever. Oh wow, I mean that, that would certainly make you feel something. Uh, it also shows up in Ayurvedic medicine, which has... A system not dissimilar to the to humoral medicine. Um, the capsicum annum is classified as dry, light, and sharp in terms of using it as medicine. Okay, that makes sense. Which, which does actually match where it's it sits in humoral medicine because spicy things go in, under um, caloric foods, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense, honestly, because spicy foods tend to be also the kinds of foods that make you more prone to like acid reflux all right but they do also give you that like that kind of like happy feeling i guess like the you know when you you eat chili and it's really spicy but then afterwards like you feel good Mm. well it's um it's opposite to phlegmatic is choleric so again that makes sense that sort of it's stimulating ah and i mean just in terms of it helping to balance phlegmatic. I don't know about you, but when I eat something really spicy, like my eyes and nose start running. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure they would say is the excess phlegm leaving the body. <laughs> That's one way to put it. I mean, I'm just saying I can see where they were coming from. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we have evidence of peppers being grown in um, Hungary as early as 1569. Wow. It was uh, it was very popular with the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. Again, sweet and spicy, but particularly the sweet variety. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have accounts of it being grown in um, Budapest. Okay, so this is where it comes into Eastern Europe. Yeah, it's the, the whole Ottoman Empire very into paprika, which is why large parts of Eastern Europe are still very into paprika. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. I one one thing I kind of miss is paprika crisps. Pringles do paprika one. They do. Mm-hmm. They're <gasps> gorgeous. Oh yes. Sometimes I see the paprika crisps in like the Eastern European section of the supermarket, but they're always expensive. Well, I I hope you enjoy the Pringles ones. Pringles <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna seek those out. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this paprika was mostly the spicy kind at this point. So Jonathan Harker can surely be forgiven for saying that it was spicy. <laughs> it's not just his English palate. I mean, it's partly that. <laughs> I feel he can be forgiven. 
Um, interesting, there's also a form of um, jam made from, from peppers, from sweet peppers. Really? I've heard of chilli jam, but like, not sweet pepper jam. Is it like a kind of chutney or like a actual jam, sugar jam thing? Um, I believe it's more of a chutney, but I'm sure you mm. could make a, sh- a sugar jam from it as well. Hmm. In fact, I'm going to double check my sauce on the- That sounds like it would be nice, like cheeses. Yeah, it is, it is more of a... More of a chutney. That would be very nice. I don't want to try that now. Um, yeah, so the, the word chilli itself um, is from um, the Nahuatl word for the for the plant. So I forgot to say that when I was etymology. Um, there's a lot of different words for, for peppers, apparently. Um, bell pepper, sweet pepper, capsicum, as, as I said. But apparently in parts of the US, um, they're sometimes referred to as mangoes. If anyone is listening from the Midlands region of the US, because apparently they also have a Midlands, um, <laughs> let me know if you've ever heard of bell peppers referred to as mangoes. What? But, but then what do they call mango mangoes? Also mangoes? I mean, we call multiple things pepper. You can have more than one. That is true. That is word. true. Stuff can mean two things. <laughs> There's also some varieties of uh, peppers that are grown for a more ornamental purpose oh i've seen the in flower shops like the little bouquets of tiny chilies yeah there's things like the um black pearl cultivar which is one that is produces black leaves and fruit i'll put a pic on twitter oh wow that is that is just a black plant um, oh it is round as well wow you, you can eat the fruit it's apparently four to twelve times hotter than a jalapeno um, oh my gosh! But it's mostly grown for aesthetic value. <laughs> that is very much in the Morticia Adams style of gardening. It I is. It. It's it's goth and it's spicy and I love it. <laughs> I wonder what the other most gothic plants are. I have to look that up. <laughs> um, not all chilies are capsicum annum. Um, habaneros, Scotch bonnets. The you know the really spicy challenge chilies. Yeah, I've um, seen. Our capsicum chinense. Okay. Which I, I find interesting that we have jalapeno and cayenne are like the, the normie chilies. <laughs> I say very much as a normie. Although oh, yeah. Nick is known to get like Trinidad scorpion hot sauce and stuff. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know there are some that are, were just bred to be the most ridiculously spicy peppers possible. Oh, yeah. People take great pride in growing the spiciest ones. <laughs> My friend used to buy like packets that are sold as like world's spiciest chili off the internet, and it always made me nervous. <laughs> um, would you like some examples of very very spicy chilies? I would. So give me the Scobles. Um, so the Scoville scale is a rating of spiciness for mm-hmm. peppers and chilies. Uh, a bell pepper is zero. A jalapeno is about. To 8,000. Carolina Reaper, oh. the spiciest, is uh-huh. 2.2 million. That's that's a lot. <laughs> um, the Trinidad Scorpion, which is the one I mentioned, is 2 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some of these I haven't actually heard of. Uh, the Seven Pot Dougla. <laughs> what? Or possibly Dougla. I, <laughs> um, Sometimes known as the chocolate seven pod, which feels like a misleading name for something that's one point eight million Scoville units. <laughs> Again, jalapeno, 
up to about eight thousand. Hey, yeah, that's that's about as spicy as I would go. I think. Yeah. Um. It's just I don't. I'm I'm glad everyone's having a good time, but I will not be eating, for example, the ghost pepper one million Scoville units anytime soon. Yeah, I think congratulations on the very very spicy varieties, but like also it's a bit a bit too hardcore. I'm just gonna stick with my very basic chilies. There there are rumors of a spicier pepper. <gasps> Even or spicier than the California Reaper. Claimed to be twice as hot as a Carolina Reaper. Twice? Known as Pepper X, but has not yet <laughs> been officially tested. <laughs> oh, a challenger comes from the shadows. It, it really does. <laughs> I've just got visions of people breathing the air around this pepper and just like convulsing to the ground. I mean, I, I wouldn't approach it, I'll be honest. Like, the, like, there's already some of these, like, the ghost pepper, you're not supposed to cut it in bare hands in case you have a cut and it becomes agony when it goes in. Oh, no. I don't want to be assaulted by my food. Props to people who can eat that, though. Uh, but yeah, while peppers and spicy chilies being spread by the Portuguese and then the Ottoman, um, Britain basically sat down and went... I'll just have the cayenne, thank you very much. Um, which is made in the same way as paprika, just from a different cultivar, so dried and then ground. Mm-hmm. Um, actually pops up in 18th century recipe books as uh, chian, C-H-Y-A-N, possibly still pronounced cayenne. Um, okay. Standardised spelling wasn't really a thing yet. Um, and cayenne does show up in Culpeper, actually. Which is um very influential um sixteen fifties medical book. Uh KN apparently helps digestion, provokes urine, relieves toothache, preserves the teeth, and helps with kidney stones and vision loss. Okay, that that's like a whole collection of things. It's it's sure a, a series of symptoms. <laughs> I mean, I my eyesight's not great, so maybe I should eat more chili. I mean I am an absolute spice wimp and have worn glasses since I was six. So, you know, just presenting some facts. <laughs> Theory confirmed. <laughs> um, obviously, chili's also very popular in Asia now, especially um, India, but also show up in especially um, Korean and Japanese curries and very big in the US, especially the southern US. Um, there's actually a wild variety called um, chiltepin that uh, grows in Arizona in southern Texas. Wild chilies? Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. You could go chili foraging. <laughs> um, probably grown by the Pueblo people in New Mexico as well. So I guess I guess this is another one of those situations where we can call a plant feral, which is always okay. fun. Yeah. <laughs> feral chilies does sound terrifying. Um, but paprika itself just get getting back to it has a lot of varieties actually it's very popular in hungary still and shows up in eight different varieties uh grades which go from noble sweet to strong um obviously it's very big in spain as well as 
as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what's used to season slash colour chorizo. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I've I've come across a lot of um, situations of people using it as an using this sweet variety as saffron to colour dishes. Uh, yeah, that to be fair, it does turn everything everything it touches mildly red. Yeah, like the more usual substitution is tomato, but I guess a small amount of paprika, like mm-hmm. just enough to colour it, would probably have less influence on the flavour than adding tomato. Yeah, if you just want that little pop of pop of colour in it rather than trying to change the particular um and yeah it is still very popular in eastern europe it shows up in i mean i think it's fair to say that hungarian food is kind of known for paprika yeah although i'm still unclear on what is and isn't considered goulash because there's a lot of paprika dishes like stews that are not goulash and it to, to an outsider it is confusing but please let us know if you know the stews i think yeah let let me know but i'm pretty sure that the main difference is just cultural it's like how we have a lot of different stews and some of them we might call a hot pot or an irish stew and some we wouldn't but you would be hard pressed to explain the difference okay i guess yeah and there can be really subtle differences like a hot pot is just a stew with potatoes on the top right or is that not even i mean i i would i would say so but i mean I don't consider it a Lancashire hot pot unless it's made with lamb and black pudding. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I understand <laughs> why all the differences. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't get me started on Lancashire hot pot. There's a whole controversy about whether you're allowed to put carrots in it. <laughs> have we done a local larder on that? I don't know if we have. We haven't. I thought about it for a while, but it's at the end of the day, it's just a very specific stew. <laughs> There are so many like m- minutely different kinds of stew. It is it is a problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in Hungarian cuisine, um, we get goulash. We get um, guliaslevs, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of a thick beef and paprika um, soup. That sounds good. Um, pork halt, paprikash, which mm-hmm. is um, another name for. This stew mentioned in Dracula and is delicious and is also a patron recipe, actually. And, excuse my pronunciation, I have tried Bograxgulyash, um, which is another paprikari stew. It just goes well. Um, yeah, there is there is a book I kind of want to get because I love paprika so much, which is um, Gundel's Hungarian Cookbook by Carolee Gundel, which does say that if it's not a goulash if there's any grains or potatoes in it. Ah, interesting. But there are also many goulash recipes which contain potato. <laughs> because who can agree on anything when it comes to food classification, honestly? Well, exactly. And I think generally everything that's a national dish has like a million different versions of how people make it in this family or whatever. Yeah. And then you've got Austrian goulash. <laughs> um I'm not going to get into goulash. Maybe maybe we should do a local larder on goulash. I, yeah, I think goulash deserves its own spot. <laughs> um, I will say there's a wild boar goulash in Germany, which I'm very interested oh, in trying. what? I love wild boar. Um, so yeah, before before we get too off track, that is that is my brief history of paprika and the capsicum anum. That was wonderful, and I'm so hungry now. Um <laughs> Yeah, like, I ate right before we started, but now I kind of want just anything with paprika. I might get I some watsits, they've got paprika. Uh, have they? How do you think they make them orange? 
What? Hazel is learning so much today. <laughs> that has just absolutely blown my mind. <laughs> Been eating what since all these years? Well, to be fair, I haven't eaten them for years, but it's paprika that makes them orange. <gasps> okay, I've I've learned a fact. <laughs> I've learned one fact from You've this whole explanation. There's, there's also paprika Pringles. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I think Nick's working. Bring me back Pringles from work. <laughs> well, not from work. You know what I mean. Anyway, local ladder. <laughs> so I am actually staying uh, relatively on topic for this local ladder, although I don't think there's any paprika in it. Um, but can there be? There certainly could be. Absolutely. Um, so this is a Transylvanian specialty um, from the Transylvanian region or the historical province of Transylvania, um, which kind of spans the area between like Romania and Hungary. Um, and uh, this dish is associated with the city of Cluj Napoca, which is kind of the capital of the Transylvanian region. And in fact, it was the official capital of the Grand Principality of Transylvania um, a couple of times. Um, and it's the fourth most populous city in Romania. Um, so it's it's the sort of most prominent city in the Transylvanian region. And this dish is called Vaza a la Cluj, which means Cluj-style cabbage, which is a bit of an unprepossessing name, but this does honestly... Is, I do like cabbage a lot. <laughs> cabbage I'm is good. <laughs> it has a bad rep, but there's a lot of ways to make it taste delicious, and this mm. is one of them. And also, it's very good for you. So there you go. Um, it's apparently it's similar in its ingredients to samale, which are like a cabbage roll, which is a, like a Romanian national dish. Uh, but this one is quite specific to Transylvania, um, and it's like a kind of like a layered cast casserole involving okay. cabbage and rice and like tomato sauce um and you put beef in it as well like you put mince in it or um or whatever you're using so you you kind of layer the those up um so one of the recipes for example that i have found um involves sort of frying chopped onions and carrots and the mince, sort of like making a bolognese base, I guess, um, with some tomato sauce and or like some passata. Um, I'm very interested in this. And then, <laughs> oh yeah, um, and then having sliced cabbage and thyme, which sounds like a lovely com combination, and, and like infusing them, um, frying the cabbage, cooking the rice, and then layering them up with sour cream on top and baking it for an hour. So like all of the flavours. Hour of baking the cabbage in the liquid. Yeah. <laughs> and like the rice absorbing the cabbage-y, tomato-y goodness. Yeah, it sounds like a very, a very good sort of filling, like autumn winter dish. And something you could definitely... Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like you could enhance that with paprika if you wanted to. I'm sure there's a lot of different recipes for this. I'm sure um, there's a whole debate about whether to put paprika in it. <laughs> yes. 
Um, well, apparently they can have a variety of meats. So this dish first shows up in print in a cookbook from 1695 of recipes from the region. And uh, apparently in this book, it has kind of a combination of meats. So you can use like, it could also include like chicken or goose or ham um, and can be seasoned with ginger. So ham are very different meats. <laughs> yeah. But I think the, the kind of um, the thing that continues is it's always like cabbage and rice in mm. layers. Um, yeah. So, so it is a local specialty. Um, and apparently it's usually served hot and can, can be accompanied by hot peppers. Um, and a dish which I'm not like just on, on the side of the plate. Yeah, just like on the side. Um, and apparently um, something that I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce, um, but it looks like Mama Liga, which is similar to polenta. It's like a, a cornmeal porridge, which sounds pretty good, honestly. Um, and I kind of yeah. want to try this now because it seems like an easy thing to make at home as well. So I might give it a go. Um, so there you go. That is a, a local Transylvanian specialty to go with our Frika history and potentially something that Jonathan Harker might have eaten as well. So thank you for listening. As I said, we do have a Patreon, uh, Bread and Thread, where you can get access to monthly Patreon-exclusive recipes. Don't know why I said it so dramatically. <laughs> well, well, they are as, good. I mean, I like them all as the person <laughs> that wrote them. As well as access to a Patreon-exclusive Discord server where we chat about food, about crafts, um... We're talking about farm animals a lot lately because um, I went to an agricultural show. There were there were many. Sheep. Oh, were they all different types of sheep? They were. You have clearly not been in the Discord for a while because no. I posted a lot of pictures. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hazel is looking at sheep pictures. We're also <laughs> on Twitter and Tumblr at Bread and Thread. If you want. Teasers for upcoming episodes, various things that we reblog, re- and the pictures that we say that we will post. That's where we post them. Uh, if you want to request an episode, just say hi. Tell us the spiciest thing you've ever eaten. Um, <laughs> if you've you ever know eaten... about Pepper X, <laughs> if you've tried Pepper X and lived to tell the tale, please email us from uh. wherever you're recovering. <laughs> email us from the other side at <laughs> podcast at gmail.com um, thank you for listening read gothic fiction and we'll be back in a couple of weeks